Hey everybody, welcome to Tapped In, an extension of the Bellingham Tap Trail. I'm your host Dave Morales, and as you know, we hang out and chat with people involved in the local brewing scene. I'm going to break from the routine today as this month's episode is a very special episode for a number of reasons. The main reason is that today we're hopping into the mash tun time machine and reaching back to the Bellingham beer scene of 20 years ago. That was the era when yours truly was a brewer at Boundary Bay and the only other brewery in Bellingham proper was Orchard Street. So. I hatched this idea to sit down with the two head brewers of those breweries and chat with them about the innocent and stylistically different days of yore. It was kind of a no-brainer as I've remained friends with both of them over the years, and so this is a two-parter, the first. First we sit down with Joe Cook, who's the former head brewer at Orchard Street, and then we sit down with Howard Kuhn, the original brewer at Boundary Bay. Now, Joe is a stream of consciousness kind of talker, and he and I have known each other for a long time, so a lot of people that he mentions, he only mentions by their first name because he knows that I know them. I tried my best during the interview to clarify who those people were, but I know that some slipped by, so it doesn't really matter in the end, as he's a great storyteller and definitely had some stories to tell about the Orchard Street days. Howard has quite the background. I refer to him as a renaissance man, and I am completely genuine in doing so. He shares the origin story of Boundary and exposes the secret to its enduring success. Here's a hint. Look down. All right. There's no sponsor spiel this month. That's another part of this being a very special episode, but I'll talk about that when we're all done. I'll cut back in once Joe and I wrap it up, and then we'll get on with Howard. Here's Joe Cook. So thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, doing something a little different this time. So you are Joe Cook, who... Old know. Fossil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know. It just gets better, right? <laughs> um, but you worked at the long defunct Orchard Street uh, Brewery. Yep. Um, who some people probably remember, some people probably don't. But uh, just tell us a little bit about about Orchard Street Brewery and and what it was like, because there was definitely two camps in those days. There were people that were Orchard Street fans, and then there were people that were Boundary fans because the beers were different. Oh yeah, and they were uh, definitely way different. Yeah. So just talk a bit about some of the beers that that uh, that you made and that uh, well and that were different. You know how they were different. Well, the the I think what Orchard Street was was the Krogstad family. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, there was Marta, Rold, uh, Max, the Elder, and Chris John. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they were all merchant marines. And there was one, um, an engineer. His name was Don. He was outside the family, but he was part of the uh, the five investors that started the brewery. And they started the brewery because Chris John was a McMinimans brewer for a whopping That's four right. years, I believe, That's right. yeah, I forget is how long that. he worked for McMinimans. And then they sent him to Siebel Institute of Technology because they wanted him to be, you know, I don't know, one of their flagship brewers. And he immediately tapped his family to start his own brewery. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, that was the story of them. And, and the word around town, it seemed, was if you're going to start a business, location is everything. And Orchard mm-hmm. Street Brewery was off in the boonies. Yeah. You know, and for a business that really needs people to come in and drink the beer um, to make money, you know, I mean, you can sell kegs, but 
the, the word back then again, I'm going to probably say that a lot was mm -hmm. that it's really hard to get a handle mm -hmm. at a bar. We had some, but mm -hmm. probably not enough to run the business. So we needed people to come in. Well, before, before I was involved, they needed people to come in and drink beer there. And they were in an obscure location and the restaurant kind of looked and felt like a place where wine drinkers went. <laughs> and indeed, they were kind of known for being a little bit more hoity-toity. I remember a big wine list on, yeah, the, on the menu. Yeah, yeah, and they sold a lot of wine. Um, but the restaurant thrived, and I think that really helped the brewery. Um, I remember the first time I went in, because I, I moved into a house in Bellingham by Lake Wacom, and there were, uh, I don't know, like seven people living in this house. It was a pretty busy place. And two of the people worked at the Orchard Street. Uh -huh, okay. So like one afternoon, Terry and I, let's go have a beer at the Orchard Street. And I mm -hmm. went and I had a big old... Terry being, probably, Terry being your wife. Terry being my wife, yep. Yeah. And I had a big old... She wasn't my wife then, but big old... You stuck around. Probably a pale ale. I don't think I would have ordered the stock ale if I knew what it tastes like because I'm not really a multi-beer fan. Mm -hmm. You know, I like hoppy IPAs. Pale ale. Oh, it's the best beer I've ever had. Thought I'd have another one. We went to the park and played Frisbee, and I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> so I was like, I love this place. Plus, they had this bread and tapenade right. that just killed. I guess you could say the beer was, you know, helped. Seduced you. The beer helped. Yeah. yeah but I loved, the, I loved the place. And, you know, so because I knew two people who worked there, I became friends with a lot of people who worked there. And I'll just tell this, try to make it brief. Um, you know, I was working... Uh, I think I had lost my job as a laundromat attendant. And uh, so I was looking for work and I was just doing odd jobs. And I was like, I need to get in as a dishwasher. So I waited, I was patient. And then I heard one of the dishwashers leaving. So I was like, I need to get on this. And I was like, I don't know if I was with Terry or with uh, Rob. Maybe I was with Rob, my housemate, who was also a dishwasher there. And we're like, where are we going to find Chad? I don't know. So we went downtown and parked and went into a bar. Up, oh, sure enough, there's Chad. So the next thing, you know, he invites us to sit down. We sit down. We're having beers. We went over to, you know, and I told him, or probably Rob told him, you know, like, yeah, Joe's looking to wash dishes. Oh, yes, huh? Hmm. He didn't really commit or anything at that moment, but we went back to the ranch, which is what we called the house, and there was a pool table downstairs. We're downstairs playing pool. And it was also a band room. And Rob had just gotten back from a Superfly 2000, his band was called, concert. And he had his drums in a pile in the middle of the living room. And I, I, I think I took a shot. No, I didn't take a shot because I was holding a beer. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it's been 20 years. But right. I had a beer and I'm, and I'm walking backwards and I'm jabbering, ah, blah, blah, blah. And I fall over this drum set backwards and I fall over the drum set and I roll backwards and I stand back up and I hadn't spilled any of my beer. It was a can of beer. <laughs> yeah. And Chad's just laughing his ass off and he's like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got hired at the Orchard Street Brewery. Nice. So talk a bit about, uh, about the beers and like some of the beers, like you mentioned the pale ale and the... Um, not old stock, but what was it? Just called it stock ale. Stock ale, yeah, the stock. Yeah, ale. and I'd never heard of a stock ale, and I still don't. Yeah. I mean, which Robert Arzu still sells the the kit. The, oh, really? Uh, yeah, as a okay. as a beer kit. To, yeah, uh, it was real popular amongst uh, college 
people. It was real nutty, mm-hmm. uh, malty, and it, it had a high mash temperature. So it was a little bit unnerving to brew, especially the you know in my first couple of years because if you went a couple degrees over the mash temp, yeah. you deactivate the enzymes and mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. But uh, I liked the pale, and a lot of people were big fans of the pale ale for a number of years. And I have to say that there was a time where the profile of the pale ale changed and it sort of started taking on a nutty flavor. And I was like, what's going on? And I remember we had, uh, oh man, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he was our hops broker and he had come over to the United States. He used to work at the Bass Brewery in England. Mm -hmm. Bass is in England. And uh, so he was real knowledgeable, you know, bloke. He had a thick English accent. And I, and I really trusted him. And I said, what's going on? Um, and he was like, I, he guaranteed me it wasn't coming from the hops. And then mm-hmm. I called the, uh, called the malt place, which I think turned into ConAgra. But at first, I uh, can't remember the original name of the maltster. But, um, Great Western? Great Western Malting. Yeah. yeah. And they said that the protein content in the malt had changed. And they believed that that in combination with the particular yeast strain that we were using Mm -hmm. was causing this kind of subtle nutty flavor. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely still drinkable. I still liked it. Um, But it wasn't the same, you know? So pale ale kind of took a little bit of a turn. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I remember about Orchard Street is higher mash temperature. So there was a little more residual sugar. They were a little sweeter, not to say that they Mm. were sweet, but Mm -hmm. they were just a little, sweeter and fuller bodied than than most of the boundary beers you know which were pretty dry uh a little stronger yeah <laughs> progressively getting stronger in those days yeah and uh yeah it, you know it was definitely two different camps and it wasn't that one beer was better than the other they were just very different yeah and, uh, you know i just you know there was always Stock ale people and jingle ale was super popular as well. The Christmas beer. Yeah, that's funny you say that because all I knew was the were the people who didn't like it. (laughs) Of course, I remember Sally once (laughs) taking a sip and she's like, "That tastes like apple pie." (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so you were working as a dishwasher, but let's let's back up a little bit. Yeah, were you? Were you a home brewer at this time? Or? I wasn't a home brewer until I started working there as a dishwasher. Okay. And then I started seeing, you know, and I worked really hard as a dishwasher. I'd, because I'd come from like having no job, I think, it's like I took the dishwasher job really seriously. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew it. It's like, you know, it was like, hey, Joe, clean the grease trap. Yes, sir. You know, I'm yeah. down there and I'm doing whatever it took. And so I was pretty well liked around the place. And when... um I could just sort of see the wheels turning and they're going to need help in the brewery. So I was like, I better get, I better get brewing. I was also very interested, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, well, maybe not interested like you, you know, cause I never like you were, you were saying before we started this, you were just like, how do I brew that? Like Mm -hmm. I've never quite had that sort of obsession with it. I'm just always like, I just want to brew good beer. Yeah. You know, well, you're kind of a process person, you know, like, I mean, I've known you a long time mm-hmm. at this point. And, uh, cause we should say like, we're literally talking 20 years ago. We're yeah. talking like 98, right. you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, uh, which, uh, Bellingham was not the, the brew scene that it is today. <laughs> yeah. True. I mean, it was just starting, you know, really it was only a few years old. 
Um, so you started home brewing while you were there. Yep. Um, and, they, and that was cool too because I could take yeast from there. Mm-hmm. I could take grain. They would let me have grain, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to do is get a system going, and it was pretty easy to start home brewing. Yeah, you know. And it was cool. I, you know, the, the thing is, if I hadn't, if I hadn't have gone to where I was eventually the head brewer there and I was making beer, you know, in 500 gallon batches, that's the smallest size. It was, we were 15 barrels mm-hmm. was the size of our system. And we would do triple batches into fermenters. Um, but, you know, so like if I come up with a recipe, all these people are drinking it and it's this huge, you know, ego thing for me. And then to go back to home brewing, I just never, you know what I mean? I never did it. Well, yeah. I also had when when I when the brewery shut down, I was the last employee. I had a newborn at home, and I turned down offers from other breweries and said, "No, I'm going to do this." And it just seemed irresponsible to have a little baby crawling around and be brewing beer, you know, mm-hmm. not because of beer, but because of, you know the danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and once I got out of it, I just picked up other hobbies and haven't gotten back into it. I love. I, you know, I talk about it like I was, I was over here about a year ago and watched you brew and I was like, I got to get one of these. I got to get back into it. But sometimes things yeah, just life. Don't work out like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of joked about it earlier, but uh, maybe it was off, off camera, off, uh, off mic. You know, we were talking about the beer that did flip the switch, you know, was the original idea for this. And it's like, yeah. like oh my God, I have to do that. And then, yeah. you know, that just starts this lifelong problem (laughs) (laughs) like i'm just driven to do this and i have to do it it is part of my identity which i never you know i never thought it was going to be like necessarily part of my identity but over the years that's borne out it's like i do beer that's what i do right and uh i mean i have a another job but beer is still and it's so cool and it and it kept me in check because i knew that you know there was going to be there were people who never said so, but could have easily and probably did think, yeah, you're kind of an imposter. And it, and it was true. I was taking advantage of a situation where it's like, hey, I can move into the brewery. I never intended to be the head brewer, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, that's kind of a story in itself. And it's sort of a, a sad story, I think, especially at the beginning, because this guy named Frank, they hired to start the restaurant. And Frank was old school Bellingham guy and he was awesome and he had energy and he got that place going he did all the hiring and we had weights every friday every saturday night for the restaurant and it it was great and then frank brought in you know he hired the brewer too i believe or at least he knew the guy and it was jeff jantz and jeff was great and i worked under jeff and i never ever wanted to you know i never aspired mm-hmm. i just wanted to you know i'll rack kegs i don't care you know mm-hmm. drive the forklift i was happy and they got rid of Frank and I probably, sh- I won't say why, but it was unfair. And um, then they got rid of Jeff and that mm-hmm. was probably equally unfair. And so that was unfortunate. And then they moved uh, in a, a friend of Christian's and uh, another ex McMinimans brewer. And he came in and he was very interesting, but, um, but it didn't work out with him either. So, so you're, you're the head brewer at this point. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, what was that like to go from you know, barely home brewing to being an assistant brewer to 
suddenly being in charge of this 15 barrel brewery that is not just producing for the tap room, but right. you know, bottles were everywhere. Yeah, um, we were 10th largest in the state. And I don't think that means much because back then there weren't that many breweries to contend out a lot of beer. with, but, but what, it, I mean, even it was, in about, it was in about two years time <laughs> that I became the head brewer, you know, and then I was a head brewer for about six more years. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a short, the whole thing was kind of a short period, but it seemed like a lifetime in a way. And what it was like was I took the job really seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, what's that movie trading places where it's like, mm -hmm. if all of a sudden you're in a position of responsibility, most people are going to step up and do the best they can. And that's, that's what happened. And I became, you know, really obsessed with, uh, first it was quality control, getting that so that all the lab work was always clean. And that was a process where I had to learn some things about the brewery. And then, um, and then it was sort of this battle where I saw them making decisions that weren't smart and I had to deal with these decisions. And that basically bought it bottles down to a bottling line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like my understanding, which I wouldn't trust me as far as you can throw me, which was that we could, you could make 900% profit in the tap room. You can make a certain amount by selling kegs. And then we signed a deal with Trader Joe's to bottle our own beer at cost. So mm -hmm. that's zero profit right there, no matter how much we bust ass. Right. And that year that we did that, we tripled our capacity. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hiring, I'm bringing, you know, we have tons of temp workers that I'm bringing in to fill the bottling line. And when, when we first started, we were bottling with, uh, what was it called? Microbeer source, Ron. Yeah. yeah Ron, the, the traveling yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't really know if I trusted his quality control. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, I back flush. You know, I was like, do you take this machine apart? And you, oh, no, no, I just back flush it. That's a common refrain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was that. But then we hired Adam and Adam was to run this bottling line. And he hired, you know, Adam was hired with a friend of his. And I never knew what their salaries were, but I knew very well they were making more money than I was. <laughs> and paying them to run this bottling line we didn't get a single bottle of for zero profit off of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but also it took them eight months of full-time work. Some, some with some overtime sometimes too, to just to get the first bottle of beer off of that line. Mm -hmm. So that had to have hurt the company. And I was just like, why are we, why are we doing it? It didn't make any sense to me. Oh, right. well, we're, you know, we're selling it to Trader Joe's down in California where by the way, the beer was sitting in unrefrigerated warehouses. Yeah. yeah. In California, you know, taking a, a road trip down there where it's warm. And why are we doing that? Oh, we're going to break yeah. into new markets. Yeah, it always made no sense. Like, no. that's not how it's going to work. No. And, you know, that's, yeah. It didn't make sense. That was a, yeah, I always thought that was a, a very odd decision. But yeah. they, they, they made a lot of odd decisions. And ultimately, you know, <laughs> a really bad decision. Yeah. And I had um, to deal, I had to deal with, you know, I liked Adam as a friend. Like mm -hmm. when we were just hanging out, we would laugh and we'd mm -hmm. have a great time. Yeah. But as a coworker, it was like everybody knew he wanted my job. And mm -hmm. he would, you know, he just took his time. He's very methodical and way more probably mechanically advanced than I was. And so he would, you know, I'd see him sometimes I'm, you know, five, six o'clock or whatever, and I'm ready to go home. This is before he got the job in the bottling line because they brought him into the brewery. And he's got the Zomnagel bottle all taken apart and he's just studying it. And, you know, 
mm-hmm. cleaning it, but yeah. he's for just the, sitting there. For those there. who don't know, a Zomnagel bottle is is this contraption that looks like a little fountain, like a water purifier kind of thing, like for those backpackers out there. And you use it to determine how carbonated your beer is. Right. Just dissolve CO2 yeah. levels. Because so, that's kind of a random right. thing and that you so have I, to be a brewer. I just kind of thought, okay, this, this guy tackles things a little differently than I did. Because I was, you know, I was kind of like get into the building and get out. Mm-hmm. And I hired one guy, Toby, who was amazing at getting everything spotless and super organized, you know, so he could pick up the slack. Uh, maybe that was my weakness, you know? And so he picked up that slack and we were a pretty well-oiled machine. And then comes this Adam guy who I couldn't figure out. And a lot of times I go back in the office and he would be just chilling with either one of the owners or the bookkeeper, you know, just picking their brains. Mm-hmm. And there, and the, there came a time when, you know, we knew he wanted my job. And finally it came down to, I got this letter and it was like, you have until the 18th of next month and you have to do these three things. And one of them was like, do a cost analysis and try to save us some money, you mm-hmm. know, figure out if we can do metered water. What I ended up doing was getting co- uh, hops on contract, you mm-hmm. know, which maybe didn't save us so much money, but it, but we wouldn't have to scramble and buy hops and stuff. Yeah. And the metered water thing didn't. But one of the things was you got to figure out um, how to use his Omnagel bottle because you're overcarbonating the beer and Adam's upset. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all the beer. It was just the golden nail. Mm-hmm. And it was the triple batches of gold nail in the 60 barrel fermenters that we had. And um, so I pretty much had an idea of what was going on because it was only the old gold nail and the gold nail was the least popular. So it mm-hmm. sat the longest. Mm-hmm. And by the time he got to bottling the gold nail, he would bottle for a while, like a couple hours, and then it would start getting overcarbonated and then it would get more overcarbonated. So I was like, okay. This I think this is what's going on, and um, what what was happening was he was pull, we used to cellar it at like I'm just going to guess 41, mm-hmm. and he was pulling the cellar temperature down to like 38, mm-hmm. which the colder it is, the more CO2 gets absorbed by the liquid. There's that, but if you know what temperature it is, then you can set the headspace at the ideal headspace, so you're not overcarbonating it from the top. But what I remembered was Christian once telling me that at a certain temperature, beer has thermal inversion, where the warmer beer doesn't want to stay up. It wants to go down and the colder beer goes up. So what was happening at a certain temperature breakpoint, which I don't remember what that was, but the therm probe was not receiving the cooling the effect. temperature. Yeah. So it was actually cooling the beer on top. And so then the set point of the... CO2 that we had was just force carbonating it. And over those long periods of time, it was working its way down. Mm -hmm. Toby also clued me in. He's like, you know, on several occasions, he pokes his head in, he's cleaning the fermenter. And he's like, dude, there's a huge ice chunk in there. So, you know, I had the information. (laughs) Right. But what I had to do was I, um, and this is something that I wanted to say that I think was really cool about the brewing industry was that Brewers seem to be all on the same team, you know, Yeah. For except for with me and, you know, in-house <laughs> right. and like, you know, me and uh, Alan Moen, the, the famous beer writer. I mm-hmm. don't know if he's famous or not, but I didn't get along with him because <laughs> I wrote a couple articles for him and he changed 
some things that I said and make me made me look stupid. So he wasn't really on my side, but I loved the community of brewers. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, you know, so I just picked up the phone and I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he was the head brewer for a legion. Dick Cantwell. Yes. Yeah. So I called him up and he was just completely up for talking and I ran him through the whole scenario. And I said, does this sound like I'm on the right track or do you think I'm, you know, silly with this? He's like, no, 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 you got it. You got it. Knit. So, you know, that was, boom, got to check that off mm-hmm. and whatever the other thing was. And I got to keep my job, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, you had the golden ale, the jingle ale in the, in the, um, Porter. holiday, holiday time, Porter, uh, the stock ale, of course, which was like, I think in my eyes anyway, that was probably like the big bill payer. Okay. I mean, I, that's the way that was, seems to be the, the beer that everybody always remembers like, oh, I miss the stock ale. I miss, you know, the jingle ale. Yeah. Um, because you can't get those, but I would say that we sold more pale than anything. Oh, okay. Like once we got rolling. Yeah. Did you have an IPA? That was kind of pre IPA. No, I, I came up with an IPA. Yeah. Which just, if I were to go back and drink it, I'd say, oh, it's not hoppy enough, mm-hmm. but you know, it was, and <laughs> I liked it because Eric liked it and he liked it because of the name. Eric, Eric the brewer at the North Jorgensen. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was called the Shrine of the Sea Monkey <laughs> IPA, which is a, a line in a Pixie song. And right. He was like, that's so cool. He's all about that. He's got a whole <laughs> line of beers that are, that are uh, I might have inspired songs. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, we also had a, a stout that I created. Right. right. I remember this. And stout. it won a gold medal at like the North American Brewing Awards. Probably mm-hmm. they don't even do it anymore. You oh, know? there's so many now. But I've got, I've got a dang gold medal. and i just you know my guide was i want to make a beer that's just like obsidian stout which was my favorite beer at the time and it was pretty much the same you know like a more sophisticated palate than mine would probably be like oh no no no, it's blah 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 but to me it's like yeah it's your baby yeah (laughs) so so 20 years on now um what's uh what would you say is your relationship with the beer industry. Are you just like a consumer essentially at this point? You, you, Not you said exactly. that you exactly. Uh... My toe is in the door and you, you could say, no, it's not. But <laughs> let me tell you what I'm talking about okay. is I clean the taps at the beach store. Right. Which is and on I, Lummy Island. Right. By the way, and I do that. Live. I do that because Fred Bottinger um, showed me how to clean taps. Mm-hmm. You know, he used to come in and clean our taps. He had a business called clean taps. Mm-hmm. Um, May he rest in peace. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, one day somebody hit me up and they were just like, you should, you know, you should do something about the taps at the beach store. And for a while I was cleaning the taps at the Willows too. Mm-hmm. When they had a bar downstairs, they got rid of the bar. So I stopped doing that. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess it, that's not really part of the brewing industry, but I do, you know, yeah. I make good money for once a month, mm-hmm. you know, for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get like 80 bucks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good money. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So not but you're not you're not brewing at all. I'm not. And I thought about there was one other beer that I did and um we exper- I experimented with a barley wine and like back then, I swear, did we have internet? I don't think I I didn't have internet. You know, no, because you were living on Lummy Island then. Yeah, and I think Robert's homebrew store was open, so I could have, and the, and I knew you. I could have talked to people more and learned more about how to design a beer, you know. But um, and I actually did. I talked to the guy from from Bass, 
Yeah, about you know our hops broker Yakima mm-hmm. Chief was the name of the right. Yeah, the yeah, hops yeah. broker place out of Yakima, and uh, and he helped me out with hop formulas for the barley wine. You know, because I didn't even know hop formulas. You know, I just thought <laughs> right. it's like cooking. You just take a guess and you throw this much in here for bittering yeah. and this much yeah. in for flavor and this one for aroma. But apparently you can fill a few sheets with formulas trying to come up with just the right amount. And probably all your listeners know this and they're laughing at me. But <laughs> well, but but what was what was gospel then is different now. Like the IB, you know, to define an IBU now is different than it was then. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, you can read a lot of articles about, you know, oh, myths that have been busted. You know, that oh, really? were, were taken as truth oh, wow. 20 years ago in the, you know, it, on the, in the brewing industry. Yeah. That's you know, like, you know, like, oh, well, if you don't want any bitterness, you know, add your hops later. Well, now there's all kinds of IPAs that are just late edition hops. You really? Know? So you, you, and it makes sense. Of huh. course, of course you continue to get um, isomerization, you oh, know, when, okay. the, when the wort is still at 180 degrees uh-huh. in the whirlpool. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, now it's like, well, duh. Hmm. But then it's like, no, oh, no, that's just going to get flavor. And right. That's all it is. Yeah, that's what the word you know, was. Like, be careful about hot side aeration. Like, don't splash when you're, you know, during the boil and stuff. Like, psh, out the window. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all this, all these things. Huh. So it's, you know, it's always evolving, which is good as it, as it should be. Yeah. Um, but on my first try, I didn't know how much extra grain you needed to use to get that original original gravity that mm-hmm. would make a barley wine. Mm-hmm. So I think I just kind of thought it would be linear and I, you know, put a bunch of grain in the mash tun and was very disappointed that my beer was only 7%. Mm. But it was the best beer I'd ever brewed. Yeah. You know, that's all that matters. Really. And uh, yeah. And after I left, you know, I think I, there was a keg left and I took it home and I bottled it up. And I uh, put it in the fridge and it lasted a year and everybody they gave it to. I mean, if they were IPA lovers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it had no adjunct malt. So I ended up calling it, we called it the barley beer. And the only time that like really the public got access to it was we, we uh, our guy Steve, our salesman Steve, took it up to a Canadian beer festival. We did a cask version of it. So we threw more hops in it. Mm-hmm. And there was no, there was no contest. But he said... Now you can't trust this either, but he said it was unofficial best to show beer because it was just, you know, it just, and, and, uh, I mean, like if, so if I ever went back to brewing, I would like definitely recapture that beer as best I could. It was a YE strain that I've written down and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd do the best I could to, and it was just straight two row and I'd have to, but you know, yeah, with the two row and that yeast strain, um, that that was a great beer, and that would be what I would want to brew. Yeah. You know? Well, there you go. That's your next step right yeah, there. I, <laughs> I thought about it, but again, it's just another, you know, one of those things that I should get around to, like doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, hey, um, thanks for thanks for coming into town and, and yeah. sitting down. Thanks for Appreciate letting me it. blab. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, this is just going to be, you know, like, okay, these are two people that, that I knew that were the Bellingham beer scene in yeah. 1998. You give me a reason to tell the overcarbonated golden ale story because nobody else would it, I mean, I doubt your listeners are even like, geez, that was tedious, but at least I had an excuse. <laughs> totally. All right, man. Well, thanks All right, a lot. Dave. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I'm going to take a quick break and uh, 
We'll be back. Joe's a hoot. He hides out on Lemmy Island all the time, and I don't see him nearly as much as I should. He was a little reluctant to sit down and chat, but I think he got rolling just fine. So thanks to Joe for taking the time. Next up, we talk with Howard Kuhn, the original brewer at Boundary Bay. Howard and Boundary Bay were my lifeline when I first moved to town as I moved here for the assisting brewing job there back in 98. Howard was the first person I knew in town, and we've kept up over the years. It had been a while, though, so it was good to have a dedicated time to hang out by ourselves and look back. The timing on this was perfect, too. We mentioned an anniversary beer that we were being potentially invited to go make at Boundary with Steve and Aaron and Jessica, and that actually came to fruition on Monday, December 9th. As this is being released on the 15th, I got word from Steve a few days ago that it should be released in the coming weeks, so be on the lookout for a beer that is unlike anything Boundary has released before. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Howard Kuhn. Well, Howard, thanks for coming. Thanks for thanks taking for time out of this lovely day. We could be frolicking outside. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. October day. You bet. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice October day. Uh, I frolicked to get here, trust me. <laughs> yeah. We got in some stuff. Um, so, uh, so we have quite the history. You were the first person that I ever met in Bellingham because uh, you essentially are the reason that I'm here. You know, you, I remember coming up when you were um, brewing at Boundary and just bringing homebrews up and just saying, hey, don't you want to hire me? Hey, don't you want to hire me? <laughs> well, you were working at Pike, is that right? Pike, at yeah, the, at, at, yeah, at the, the time Liberty I was Malting working at Pike. Or the, the store? The yeah, I was doing a little bit. I was kind of the jack of all trades right. there. Um, yeah, Liberty Malt Supply, um, Moonlighting in the Brewery, uh, I remember. bartending. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I just happened to meet Bruce Kale down at a cask event, and uh, he was like, oh, I think our assistant brewer might be leaving, which was Sean. Sean, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, Sean went on to bigger things, I think, at back then, but I never have kept in touch with him. I yeah, don't know what and, ultimately happened, but he went to work for the Fat Tire people, New Belgium. Oh, did he? That's okay. what I heard. I thought he went to Sierra Nevada, but... I, th- well, he th- wanted I'm, to go to Sierra Nevada, but yeah. I think what ultimately happened was he ended up at uh, New Belgium. Okay, but you may know more than I do. No, no, I don't. Yeah. I Sierra Nevada just stuck yeah. in my head. He was a he was a cool kid. Yeah, I only, you know I didn't get to speak to him much since I took over when he, he left. He, he was on the quiet side. Yeah, yeah, he but definitely he was, was. He was really focused. And it was cool. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember uh, my first day. You were like, "Yeah, you got you got some big shoes to fill." <laughs> <laughs> Like basically, don't fuck it up. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I honored him in that way because I don't remember. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I liked him, but uh, yeah, he was just in school and, and eager and, and real young, but yeah. really a go getter. And yeah, I remember he used to drive to Bend all the time because his girlfriend was in mm, Bend. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I probably wouldn't recognize him if I saw him today. I kind of, well, you know, he was there for a year, I think. And I just, he left and you showed up and, and we had a lot to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, things were growing. So good luck, Sean. And, and <laughs> I've never heard back from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I ran into him once like a year or two later. I oh, think. right. But, yeah. but only briefly. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So we didn't maintain a relationship, friendship of any kind. It's kind of too bad. But it's, right. We were right. busy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, um, you've always kind of struck me as uh, as kind of a renaissance man because I remember that you were a commercial fisherman and you owned a boat and uh, and you did that for many years, right? I Quite mean, a few, you, yeah. Yeah, when you, yeah, when you first nine, moved to Bellingham. together. Yeah. Almost yeah. 20. Yeah, and then... And then you're the brewer for Boundary Bay. Uh, how does that happen? I mean, what's your? I mean, I I know some of the answers to this already, but but for, for well, the so sake. Bellingham was a. I mean, I moved here in '77, um, and had been around. You know, I'd been to Paris, I'd been to London, I'd been to Germany, had had, had tasted other mm-hmm. beverages besides American beer, <laughs> right? And um, when when microbrew, quote unquote, started, even though it hadn't had that moniker yet, Red Hook, and then the first Red Hook everybody knows wasn't really very good, but then the second Red Hook came around pretty good, mm-hmm. and Grant's over in Yakima, mm-hmm. and um, that was that was eighties. Yeah, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, and Sierra Nevada, which well, up here in Bellingham, we weren't really that totally aware of Sierra Nevada, but we saw it on the shelves. We didn't know a lot about it. It was pretty far away, but Grant's right here in Washington, Yakima, mm-hmm. and then Red Hook, that was our stuff, you yeah. know? And when it, the Grant Scottish Ale, that was delicious beer. And the, the second generation Red Hook, yeah, we liked it. Um, and I just thought, oh man, after, after 10 years of that, you know, Mm-hmm. And more people getting on board, and you have Pike in Seattle, and you have other Seattle people doing yeah, because they're eighty nine. Pike was eighty nine, and, and and those guys, Val Allen, and and all those guys, mm-hmm. and they they all were becoming sort of urban legends, or yeah. so to speak, right? Yeah, and you knew that you were a part of it too. Yeah, but up here in Bellingham, it was this hotbed of of youth and, and college and excitement, and mm-hmm. it's a cool city on the water. It's like, man we need a small brewery in Bellingham. Mm-hmm. I just thought that. Yeah. No, no, no matter how it would happen, I just thought we, we need this mm-hmm. for the town. We need it. And um, I knew how to brew. I had some brewing chops. I yeah, made so a lot long, of home brew. How long had you been home brewing? Well, I started in college when I was about 19, 18, 19. Okay. And uh, from kits that I got from my brother who lived in England. Okay. And, uh, I remember you had a, a certificate. You went and got, um, you know, took a class essentially in how to do cask conditioning. Uh, yeah, that yeah. had happened later on. I think right, right. Um, yeah. after, we'll after we got into the business of brewing, memory. but uh, yeah. just for for you know where the roots are of doing this at all, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people like that at that late mid late '80s, early '90s, and it was just the burgeoning thing. Mm-hmm little threads, little dots here, there, and everywhere. It wasn't really organized. It wasn't a movement, mm-hmm. but the buzz was kind of starting right then. And right. Um, I just thought, yeah, if I had enough money and enough experience and so, you know, I would like to do this. Mm-hmm. I went to Grant's in Yakima and talked to uh, Bert, Bert Grant and his wife mm-hmm. about doing a brewery in Bellingham. And did they need somebody for whatever, mm-hmm. not like I'm going to be the guy, but expedite whatever, make yeah. it happen. Just, just to have something. Yeah. No matter how that played out, that was where that was how 
what's the word? I don't know. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't have a real crystal vision of anything. <laughs> you were <laughs> just <riffing>. like something, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's create a spark here. Yeah. Let me be the facilitator. And um, so then in 1995, um, for, well, so, so then Bullies, Bellingham, Homebrew Shop, Real Grain Brewing, mm-hmm. that happened in the 80s too. Mm-hmm. That was, that was huge. And learn how to do that from scratch. That was something that I had going on. And, and, and to taste that result and say, oh, man, this stuff tastes good. That was cool. Yeah. I mean, that gives you confidence. That, oh, well, sure. it's really not that tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a whole more layer of, of, of um, goodness mm-hmm. to, to do it like that rather than just extract kits that everybody had back in the 80s and stuff. So, um, so all that kind of came together to 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 want to be involved in some way in a brewery in Bellingham, and Loam and and Grant's quite frankly said no, we don't want any help, right. thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in '95, Lord Zimmerman up in Ferndale opened Walk and Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. Mount Baker Brewing opened downtown at what is now the. What's that bar downtown that everybody likes? 3B? No. It's right in the middle of downtown. Can't quite remember the name of it. But anyway, that was Mount Baker Brewing. Yeah. And then Orchard Street Brewing started up. So I was fishing up in Alaska in um, February and March. April, I got injured and was put out of commission and wasn't going to be able to go back. Mm -hmm. So I'm back in town kind of just drifting around. Christian Krogstad at Orchard Street, Orchard Street put an ad in the paper, Brewer Wanted. So I went and applied. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him, and he was very nice. And um, that didn't go anywhere. And I think he had people already by mm-hmm. then. And then Boundary Bay started. And all I saw about that was driving around town, and I saw a big banner saying microbrewery opening soon mm-hmm. on the back of this old building. <laughs> and nice. I had no idea that was going on. Mm-hmm. But Ed Bennett had showed up in town and got his thing going, and that was really number four. Mm-hmm. If you count the one in Ferndale, Walker right, Brewing, right. was certainly countable at that time. And all in the same year. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's so, crazy. So I was uh, kind of laid up, and I just saw that there's something else happening. And uh, so I just showed up one day, and I ran into Bruce Kale, mm-hmm. who was the ramrod guy doing the construction and kind of orchestrating and coordinating. Still is. <laughs> and uh, here we are. How many years later? Bruce yeah. is still there doing that same thing. Yeah. But Bruce was uh, easy to talk to, so we had a conversation. And then when he said, well, you'll have to meet Ed. So I did meet Ed and I said, you know, I've got some time. I'm sort of laid up, but I can do stuff. Mm-hmm. I just want to be involved. I don't care what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty handy. So, yeah. <laughs> so he said, well, gee, yeah. Okay. Well, fine. You know, that's nice. I like that idea. I'm sure. You know, welcome. No problem. No. But he had his ducks in a row. He had a guy from Rainier Brewing who was a friend of his who was going to come brew for him mm-hmm. at Boundary Bay. But not to say he didn't need help. Mm-hmm. So I started out working with Bruce okay. with all the construction stuff. Right. Doing the floors and stuff like that. Doing painting in the tap room there and then went to the floors and, and everything else. And then the brewing equipment showed up. 
all the tanks and all the plumbing and all the piping and all the valves and all that, the brewery, the brewery guy, the, the brewer that was a friend of his the decided <laughs> that he didn't want to do it. Oh, He's getting married and didn't want to come to Bellingham, didn't want to end on the project. Oh, so he wasn't even here yet. No, had not arrived. Oh. I never met the guy. Oh, okay. He was <laughs> a myth. Right. <laughs> so, so we needed somebody to hook up all this stuff. And um, I could do that. Yeah. Like, hey, I owned a commercial because fishing boat. <laughs> I worked on fishing boats. <laughs> I knew a lot about valves and hoses. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So I did. And I worked in the brewery, helped set it up. And I loved it. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I was totally happy. Yeah. And um, push comes to shove, that morphed into me becoming the brewer at Boundary Bay Brewery mm-hmm. because of all that participation and setting up the brewery in the first place mm-hmm. with Vince Catoni, mm-hmm. who was the brewing consultant who yeah. had consulted on several breweries, yeah. notably in our area, the one in Anacortes mm-hmm. with Paul Wasick. Yeah. So many in, in Seattle right. as well, like big time. So he was a player for sure mm-hmm. in that genre, that yeah. generation of, of brewers. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a pretty easygoing, cool guy. And uh, Yeah, I only met him once. So, so it just evolved. Yeah. And, and by the time we opened, well, July, we brewed our first batches in July. Um, we opened in like October, mm-hmm. so we were a little behind on yeah. what our plan had been. Right. Always. Yeah. Always, always. <laughs> and the beer sat in those tanks for a lot of long time. <laughs> and we'd have beer every day <laughs> sure. on the crew. Yeah. But uh, there wasn't a lot of public involved. Yeah. So talk about those early beers, like the first iteration boundary beers. Because, you, you know, as you mentioned, you know, your brother lived in England. You were definitely inspired by those English type beers. Like when I think of the early boundary beers, I think... English based, you know, but with the, but with the loosely said, yes, but with the Pacific Northwest, that was before the, that was way before the hop revolution Mm -hmm. happened in Washington way before. Mm -hmm. So everybody was, you know, and I, I didn't have um, a whole book full of really exotic, exciting recipes. Mm -hmm. I knew how to make beer. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and Vince Catoni helped us with some of the startups. Oh, Paul Wasik okay. helped us with the startups. Okay. Gave us advice, tips on yeah. when Paul we tasted his beer. Paul yeah. from Anacortes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Very, very helpful to yeah. us. And we tried to pay that forward with some of the other breweries that came along mm-hmm. later on mm-hmm. to some degree. And that's what it was like then. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of, this is my secret. Uh, you can't have it. Um, yeah. Good luck. It's, it's still like that to a degree. Yeah. That's one of the things that I think... Uh, a lot of brewers like about the industry. Right. Um, you know, I remember a guy uh, yep. from, from Port Townsend him yesterday coming up and, this, uh, right? and getting yeast from us. Cause he just brewed so infrequently that he was like, I can't, I don't have a yeast yep. brink or anything. Like I'm small. <laughs> and his, he, he told me once his wife had hop envy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she said his IPA wasn't as good as our IPA. <laughs> And, uh, I liked that th- first. They were fun. Him and his IPA. wife, they used to come up and visit mm-hmm. and spend the time. He was a cool guy. Yeah. And uh, then Sandy at um, mm-hmm. North Fork yeah. would come by. And um, I don't know. Yeah, he might have used our yeast or not. I can't exactly remember. But 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 we were open mm-hmm. with, you know, he was a friend of mine too, became a friend. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he came by and just eyeballed and took mental notes and, mm-hmm. and started his own place. And uh, now they've, they've retired. Yeah. Yeah. 
but couple, what, a, what, years a, ago. what yeah. a classic heritage place that has been, oh, man. you know? Yeah. Imagine that right to Mount Baker without uh, North Fork Brewery. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was some, some not collaboration, but just collegial mm-hmm. relationship with those yeah. guys and those breweries. And yeah. they just came I, back from Port Townsend. Port Townsend Brewing still there. And it's just nice. really cool. Yeah. Those That's all great. took off from that time, which was, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were, we were the fourth in line to start in boundary in, in Bellingham and, um, way behind, way behind the curve. And yet, um, it's the only one still surviving really. Yeah. Of those four. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's pretty remarkable. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's given the scene today. Yeah. How many breweries are there in Bellingham? Yeah. There's people that are old enough to drink now who, if they grew up here, never knew yeah. Bellingham without Boundary Bay. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think they're all good reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is legitimately a part of the community now. Yeah. And that's by design. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's no, no, ac- for sure. no accident that for sure. the boundary is as entrenched and as they, they had are. a lot of insight that way, even mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. And they're become, still very helpful. You become know, become a player in the community yeah. in a bigger community. Yeah. And you got to give them good credit for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Every brewer that I talked to that has opened, you know, that, that are owner brewers, um, all talk about, you know, like first person, you know, first people we went and talked to, you know, Ed and Janet, mm-hmm. you know, go talk mm-hmm. to them and see what's going on. Yeah, it's great. And now I was just telling you that we, 20 something years later, we may go back and actually brew a batch of beer with Steve and Aaron at Boundary. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it'll be? Who knows when it'll be released? Who knows when it'll happen? This is all very new, but but it's it's you know, got the blessing of, of Ed and Janet. So right. it's, it's a legit thing. Yeah. So that'll be fun standing on the brew deck again. So yeah, when I, so I came on in 1998. Uh, moved here for that job. Um, and uh, I remember things were just starting to really turn for Boundary. Like we were brewing, like within months, we were went from brewing once a week, maybe twice a week to, okay, now we're brewing twice a week, every week. And then a month later, we're brewing three times a week, every week. And things started getting well, then Getting we started crazy. making double batches. Yeah, when we and got that, those double that batches. That was that yeah. year two, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, and that was when Aaron Smith started coming yeah. in and, and being our grunt. <laughs> Aaron worked in the kitchen. Yeah, he's been there the longest of, of anybody at this point, I and, think. And uh, worked doing kegs, and, and he's still there now. Yeah. And been a great asset to yeah. that place yeah, as a brewer. So, yeah. yeah. Then, I mean, he was just out of school. And I remember Aaron enthusiasm and still he's so cool but he'd bring his beers that he made yeah and we'd taste them mm-hmm. and i go oh my god aaron yeah you've got a calling here yeah Man, oh yeah i remember that that some of clear. the best stuff i've ever tasted <laughs> yeah <laughs> can you just make that yeah and he did yeah he did he made he made one of those uh, yeah i remember him the bringing one with the meats. peaches the one with the peaches oh, in it and all exactly that. That was so delicious when he brought it to me. I never had anything like that. Right. And it was wild. Yeah. But then he did. He made a brewed up version of that. I don't know how many years ago, a few years yeah. ago. I don't know. And uh, 
Ed and Janet let him do that too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, at this point, you but know, I don't think they, cool. uh, it was a great memory for me having tasted that beer in the back room that he had done at home. Yeah. After they put it out as this right 20th anniversary thing or whatever right. they did. Yeah. yeah. So, super cool. That is, you know, looking back at it, Skip took over after I left mm -hmm. and Northwest Brewing took on a real path mm -hmm. into the, where we are today. And I got to give, so he kind of, with your help, made that happen. Mm -hmm. I, I probably would have resisted. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The hop revolution thing. What wasn't my stick per se. Right. Yeah. And I was really proud of the way we did hops, but it was labor intensive and, 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 and lots of dry hopping in the kegs, old fashioned and stuff that didn't really work very well. <laughs> well, but occasionally you get these wonderful results. I remember I, I was just telling somebody this the other day that, um, I was never a big fan of our Amber, mm -hmm. uh, on draft. It was good. I think I would like it more now. You know, I always liked the, the, either the, the big, thick, rich beers or, right. um, or the lighter ones. Like mm -hmm. I loved our golden ale, mm -hmm. um, didn't never liked the scotch made a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just not my, those, those amberish multi beers. I liked the like, scotch. That was one of mine. I was, yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a scotch ale fan yeah. anyway. I don't like the super multi, like I don't like box really. But anyway, I, love them. <laughs> yeah, I know people do. I mean, it's, it's still like a, a big bill payer there. Yeah. Um, what was my point? The Amber. So we used to do cast night. Uh, I don't remember what nights we did it, but, and I don't know that if they still do it, but we used to take the Amber and put Styrian golding plugs in there. Remember they were the plugs. Yeah. And Those are great. I, I would always stick around when it was amber for whatever reason, cast condition conditioned and you know, at cast temperature and, uh, and with that dry hop, it was so good. Yeah, steering golding. Was that was so a good, good hop for dry hopping. That was wonderful. We did that for the reef netter ale too. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah and we exactly. sold a lot of that, although it was intermittent, but, uh, mm -hmm. I like the ESB. I thought that was a good beer. Right. We yeah, called yeah. it boundary bitter. Right. Because that's what they would have called it in England. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I thought that, and that beer survives today to this day, I think. Yeah. yeah. Essentially the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I've tasted it, it tastes pretty much the same. I'm proud of that. I like that. Yeah. One. Yeah. And Bounder, Old Bounder. Yeah. Old um, Bounder. Do you remember? I remember that we used to, uh, it used to be on tap all the time. Mm -hmm. The Bounder was, you just had to know to ask for it. And then eventually, oh, yeah, cool. eventually the word so got out. to have something like that. Yeah. Because yeah, we used to just sample it once a week. Just be like, oh, let's see how the Bounder's doing. Last <laughs> year. But uh, yeah, once word got out, I don't remember if word got out while you were still there or if it was after you were gone, but eventually it got to the point where it's like, okay, this, no, we got to take this off. We're not doing that yeah, anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. One of the things I guess I wanted to throw in there from the project was that, uh, you know, the beer is the beer and it's, it's, it's had the stamp of everybody that's brewed there and worked there and made it happen over the years. And, and I think, I think the beer helped the, business survived the first couple of years mm -hmm. when, when the food side of it was very difficult to plan for, manage, and, and guess what people were going to want. Trying to figure out what works. Yeah. yeah. And, and when Janet got involved, that, that started to go in the right direction for sure. But um, aside from all that, it was the floors. 
Yeah, that's why I mentioned the floors. The floors are amazing. The floors in that place, I think they're gorgeous. Yeah. But that was the hardest thing that we had to do. Yeah, I remember. And without Bruce, I was the stubborn one on the team. I was the difficult one. (laughs) And I I saw those floorboards and, and the plan had been to varnish them and make them shiny. And I saw them old and aged with the grain kind of soft, yeah. but, but through Patina, all the wood and yeah, yeah it's satiny, not even satin, you know, just old. And, and uh, Bruce backed me up on that. Mm-hmm. And Ed just wanted it done. He said, just get some planers in here, plane them down, shine them up. We got to open this thing, but I wouldn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I really hung on to those doing the floors a different way. And I had to yeah. research how to do it and what mm-hmm. to do. And, and we had to mop sawdust over them to fill all the grouting lines and the floors for the whole big place. It's a big building, yeah. But I'm really proud of that, how it turned out. And I think that that has survived in a really good way mm-hmm. to give that place its atmosphere, which is one of its big selling points. Right, yeah. So Yeah, it's a perfect, It it's an, it's such an inviting room to to sit down and drink beer. And it looks old. <laughs> and it <laughs> yeah. is, damn it, it is old. Yeah, it is so, old. It's like so, 1902 so or 1900. I think or probably that's the more significant contribution that I made to that business was <laughs> holding tight on those floors. Well, I think, I mean, I think that uh, that Ed was incredi- incredibly fortunate to have someone like you come along because you were kind of the prototype brewer. You knew how to fix things. You know, you knew how to you know, you knew how to make things work, whether they wanted to work or not. Um, and you were just kind of, well, we're just going to do this and get it done and, and keep going. And you made good beer. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, don't underestimate your contribution to, to Boundary Bay's longevity, you know, because without that strong start, I don't think that it would have carried over. Yeah, no, I think so. the first couple of years were, were tough and, and, sure. And so that the beer was good, that helped. People yeah. came there for the beer. Yeah. And that Ed was tough enough to hang on and and weather it and keep throwing mm-hmm. at it. I mean, his energy was tremendous compared to mine. <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. And I was working 80 hours a week. Right. For the first couple of years, and I couldn't do it anymore. Right. But then, fortunately, didn't have to do it yeah. anymore as things started to rise. So. But uh, yeah, tough mm-hmm. as nails, and, yeah. and needed to be, right? And and here we, here they are. Yeah, no, he's no nonsense. So mm-hmm. I, I I like going there. I, mm-hmm. I I I do enjoy it there. Yeah, me too. I don't make it in. I don't make it in anywhere as much as I want because I work nights. But um, but every time I'm there, it's it's fun. I'm excited that um, there are new brewers that have that have taken it on have have moved the brewing into the new age. I mean, they have wonderful mm-hmm. variety that we never had, obviously. Right. Um, and they're doing a great job. Yeah. I've tasted almost all those beers and they're super. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't have to look back to anybody that they're all their Belgians and all that stuff that they make there. They're as good as anybody's. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Yeah. I'm happy about that. Cause had I stayed, that's what I would have wanted to do. Yeah. Oh, I tried to, I tried to get into the Belgian thing with, with Ed, but in those days it was too, no, too risky. No, it was too and, risky. and actually, quite frankly, a lot of people don't like that, but, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and if you've got both, then you've got two clientele. You exactly. Know, and, and it's a discerning 
clientele. Right, so, right. Pull more people So in. I think the brewing has survived there really well into this modern age that we're in now, which is way different than when we started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were talking about um, beers that are still essentially what they were then. The bounder, uh, mm -hmm. Aaron was just telling me, just a couple of years ago, he's like, same recipe, nothing's yeah. changed. I'm like, good, didn't need to. Pretty simple you recipe. Know? Yeah. The IP, <laughs> the original IPA and the Bounder, I I wrote down those recipes before I left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the Cabin Fever, mm, the original yeah. Cabin Fever, which I've never been able to replicate on a home level. Yeah. I've never even tried. Yeah. yeah. I made I made it twice, and the first one was wildly off, and... uh yeah, the second one wasn't there, but I might try it, it might again. Be the boil? I don't know. Something there caramelizing yeah. all that malt. I don't yeah. know. The boil kettles are different. You know. Yeah, that was the last beer I ever brewed. Yeah, at Boundary was Cabin Fever. Um, yeah. Anything you want to add? Let me see. I would, uh, there's always something. I'm a talker. <laughs> um, oh, I I know one thing. So when you when you did. I remember you saying at one point, you're like, you know, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Like this isn't, it's kind of going back to you being the Renaissance man. <laughs> you're like, you know, this is just what I'm doing right now. Like I don't see myself being a brewer, you know, for the rest of my life. And sure enough, within six months you were gone. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then you went and played with wine. You went out to yeah. Mount Bakery, yeah. uh, not not baker vineyards, not not bakery. That's that's a bakery. And yeah, uh, I don't bake. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and you did cellar work out there and you were out there for a good year or two. Yeah, or, almost two years. Two years. Yeah. 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 And what, what was your role there? Were you just working in well, the cellar? They, they or? needed help. Um family operation and uh since that since you know, again with the plumbing and the hoses and all that stuff. <laughs> <I didn't do laughs> right. that. So so yeah. I had some skills there that they could use. I can point water. I remember you saying that too. Like, I, like, like, oh, you know, I can, I can move things around with water. With the hose. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a skill. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be totally wide awake to do that part. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, Maitland was the owner's son, Maitland Finley. He let me work in the lab. Oh, nice. And Little lab is where all the wine tasting is done. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I'd go with Maitland and we'd sit there and taste wine almost all day long. Mm -hmm. And the reason we tasted it was, first of all, to try and pick out, was there any flaws? And if there are, how can we improve them? And he had several remedies for wine that was having, having problems. Mm -hmm. So we do lab trials and all that. And then also the blending. Right. So he's got 20 different lots of red and this cab by itself tastes okay, but if we add this to it, well, it's really way better. Mm -hmm. So we do blending trials and taste all that all day long. Yeah. So, so I got I got to um, experience a really fine part of winemaking that a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah. And um, you started making on a home level. Yeah. So I made a lot of wine for a while at home. Yeah. Um, now I'm too busy to do that. <laughs> right. But my friend Robert does it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your friend too. Oh yeah, everybody on so, this so listening to this knows who Robert is. That, yeah. that thing is still going. Yeah. But uh, that would I'm be not, Mr. Robert Darcy. I'm not of course. Too much of a part of that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but I still like it. Yeah. And um, as I mentioned to you, I, I've unfortunately developed a terrible allergy to beer. Life is unfair that way. Mm. But I'm not allergic to wine, so yeah. So I enjoy wine. So, and uh, <laughs> if I if I was retired, if I could afford to. 
be retired, I'd make wine at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so just, just to complete the whole loop of like how many different things you've done in your lifetime, explain now what you do uh, to the fine people oh. <laughs> and how completely unrelated it is to any kind of alcohol industry. Well, so I kind of had to wing it when I got out of Boundary Bay Brewing and um, I'd always been rather good in math and sciences mm-hmm. and all that. So I was um, 46 years old, I think. And I go, I need to find something that works. Right. Financially, among other things. Yeah. Also, also, yeah. I need a real job. Also, contentment wise, mm-hmm. something that works. And um, I thought I was a little too old to just sort of decide to go to medical school. But nursing, yeah, you can, nursing's a craft. That, that's coming of age in a very positive way and, mm-hmm. and men in nursing quite an asset. Mm-hmm. And now there's nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. So you can do these things for people, but you don't really have to become an MD to do them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, yeah. I, this was actually when I was young, probably what I should have done the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't but work out that way. Here now? I was stubborn. <laughs> so, so I went back um, to school to do all the pre-med stuff, pre-nursing stuff. Yeah. And on the way to that, yeah. um, I talked to a bunch of nurses and they go, no, you're going to hate it. Don't ever do it. It's a terrible <laughs> field. There's no respect. Unfortunately, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. That, and yeah, I don't I think that's nurses. all, that's yeah. not unilaterally true, but that was a vibe that I got. A lot of the people in my class were taking the same prerequisites for the ultrasound program at Bellevue College. And I didn't know much about it, but as I found out about it, it started to intrigue me. Mm-hmm. And I was too late to get into nursing school anyway that year. So I stayed out an extra year working at Mount Baker Winery and going to the tech school, finishing the prerequisites for ultrasound, mm-hmm. which was way hard to get into, but I was able to do it. Nice. And two years later, so it took almost four years t- total right. back in school. Yeah, I remember you being in school a long it, time. It was four years pretty much, but I got an ultrasound degree. So now that's what I do in Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. Ultrasound. Nice. And I really actually really enjoy it. All right. There you go. Full from from commercial fisherman to brewer to vintner to, to ultrasound technician. Not not a path that a lot of people take. <laughs> I know. I know. But that's great. But, I mean But it's it, it's been a thrill. You yeah. Know? Oh, absolutely. And Bradley Bay was totally a thrill. Yeah. And I got to do what I wanted to do. Right. You know, had it been my own business and now I got to start it and I had all those jobs. Of course, I'd still probably be there, but really, I didn't need that. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. got to do what I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, I just want to make beer. I just want and to make and beer. Uh, it worked. Yeah, so it was cool. Nice. Well, Howard, thanks again for it's great David. taking time thanks to sit down. Yeah, that. we don't see each other nearly enough. And but, uh, uh, you know, I miss working with you. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, we did have a I lot. I really of fun. liked working with. Well, you. Like I said, you were you were my lifeline. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first year I was around, I, I, know, I knew didn't no really one else. Know anybody. I didn't know anyone else. <laughs> but as luck would have it when Skip came along. Yeah, well, I'd worked with yeah, Skip and, and, and Pike, him. so yeah. I already knew. I was so. like, hey, come up and uh, I don't re- you remember Jeff Demon? Um, yeah, he, I do. Yeah, he was down there. Actually, he was just in town a couple weeks ago. He's still at Free State in Lawrence. He's been the head brewer there for over a decade, you know, something like that. Have you ever been to Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We yeah, went me through too. there uh, with the year that we moved to Michigan, driving your old, uh, uh, yeah. the, the van right. again. You would have, yeah. Um, that was just like 2000, 
four, three or four. Um, and we stayed with him. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of different people. And actually I want to say really talented people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The people we had on the staff when I was there. Well, everybody cares. So dynamic and so just energetic and they just pour everything into it every Mm -hmm. night. And then they, we'd all go out afterwards and, yeah. Well, Boundary was the place. I mean, it was the hub and everybody wanted to work there. But that part for me coming from commercial fishing, when I was kind of out by myself most of the time, Mm -hmm. it was really fun to, 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 to have all that crowd of people to work with. Yeah. A lot of them came up from Seattle Mm -hmm. and the bartenders, the wait staff, the kitchen people people, from Michigan and from Michigan, multiple people. And and, uh, so that was, that was a really rich experience in that way. And, And for me, I was, I was, I wasn't totally unattached, but I, you know, I wasn't married. I was free mm-hmm. to hang out. Really fun. Yeah. Really, me too. really enjoy that <laughs> memory yeah. of all those people. Yeah. No, I have, uh, I have overwhelmingly positive memories of, of, uh, of there. Cause I left not too long after you. I yeah. Left but a, was it early just a, just a 2002? Yeah, so, I think was when I left. So I left in 99. So yeah. you were there for three mm-hmm. years yeah. anyway, maybe four. 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 Yeah, yeah. four. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about as many as I had. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. And now we have, you're just amazing everywhere. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I've often credited Robert because uh, I've had him on here. He's been in the chair and, uh, you know, yeah, I felt yeah, that he's been it was quite a conduit to... for exactly information and, and uh, putting people to networking and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's a go-getter that one. Nice. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks to Howard for taking the time out to sit down and chew the fat. So many memories and things that I had forgotten all about. It was pretty great that a few weeks after we sat down, we were back on the brew deck at Boundary making beer. It felt weird at first, but after about an hour, it was like riding a bike. Although, I'll be truthful and just say that the regular brewers there did the vast majority of the work on the actual brew. However, the recipe for the beer was created by Howard, myself, and Mr. Robert Arzu, who we've sat down with before, and who was the second person I knew in Bellingham. He actually got the invite to brew the anniversary beer and kindly threw out the idea of Howard and me returning to the boots with them. The recipe is largely Robert's baby, but the three of us collaborated on it together as Steve from Boundary basically gave us carte blanche. I can't wait to try it. You will be surprised, I'm sure. All right. Change is in the air, people, but hopefully it's a good change. After the February episode, this podcast will no longer be associated with the tap trail. No ill will, no salacious gossip, just a clean break. It's been a lot of fun and a great experience being born into existence by them, and this might have never happened without them, but it did, so thank you to the tap trail. So what now? Well, I'll be on my own. While I've always created the content alone, I will now be in charge of all the other things I never had to think about. Getting a website, finding sponsors, everything. I know I say this all the time, but this time, I really need your input. Name change, sponsor ideas, format thoughts, any experience with this kind of thing, anything and everything would be greatly appreciated. 
I don't want this podcast to wither away and I'm going to do everything I can to keep it going, but I need your support. Reach me directly at dave at taptrail.com. Seriously, I've always kind of joked that I do this for the same 20 people each month, but I'd like to think that that's not really true. So onward. Next month, we're busting out of this humble berg and sitting down with Greg Spore of Terramar Brewing down in Edison. So be sure and tune in as usual. Now, more than ever, please take a moment to rate us with all the stars on your podcast service of choice and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next riveting episode. It really does make a big difference. I'll talk to you next month. Until then, do your best to make it through the holiday season without resorting to violence and opting to be a shut-in. Cheers. Cheers.